So, not long ago, I was driving around through the woods, and it occurred to me that Frankenstein is really cool. I think about Frankenstein a lot, and his monster. But legitimately, the Dr. Frankenstein is actually, like, even cooler than the monster. But that's not the point. And I started considering the concept of reanimation. Like, taking something that is dead, particularly a human, but it doesn't have to be. Some biological organism that once had life and a consciousness and love in its heart and, like, a family and goals and ambitions and it's fucking dead now, right? It's nothing but decaying organic matter. And then bringing that decaying organic matter back to life. And there are several variations of like, ideas, considering what amount of consciousness remains in that reanimated matter. And sometimes it's the same consciousness and the same person, but like, their body's dying, and their soul is still intact, and they still have the same brain and thoughts and feelings and whatever. And other times, the body is brought back to life, and it functions and moves and has its own motivations basically just bare survival. Like it needs to introduce energy into its body so that its decaying body continues to move so that it can do that over and over again like a, like a zombie. And then other times there's sorts of reanimation that's kind of like the old versions of vampires or like Striga and uh, where someone dies, and then there's a curse or something, and then they crawl themselves out of their grave, and they're half alive, they're half themselves, but mostly they're motivated by the need to consume the human life force in order to continue having their body move around in the world, despite not any longer having their human consciousness. And I thought about that, and I thought that that was cool as shit. Especially with the whole Frankenstein thing, because he's like, his monster is like a bunch of different dudes all sewn together like a patchwork vest. It's a li- like a Build-A-Bear, but like, like a himbo evil Build-A-Bear. Like Frankenstein's monster could like save me from a mountaintop. He's strong. Anyway, so. Reanimation is, there are several different types of reanimation. There's galvanic, which is the like use of electrical impulses, like what Frankenstein does. Chemical, which we actually do today in the medical field to like revive dead patients. And then there's the magic kind, which I mean, magic, like you pet. Yeah, you cast a spell. And then someone's alive again. In popular culture. Reanimation is a term used to refer to the revival of an organic body from a state of death or deep unconsciousness. This term has been used in regards to bringing consciousness back to an individual who has been in a coma or unconscious due to anesthesia. More commonly for the layman, the word is used in the context of horror. Classical horror novels and films often center around the topic of reanimation, from White Zombie, a film produced in 1932 depicting the conflict stemming from a voodoo curse which transforms a woman into an undead nightmare, to Mary Shelley's classic novel and following film adaptations, Frankenstein, in which a scientist obsessed with the idea reanimates a corpse and grants it consciousness and life, these stories touch on a prehistoric human fixation on what life force, consciousness, or the soul truly are, and the fear that death really is a final end. And in this series, I have a guest host. Hello. That's April. She's my uh, horror um, media What's the word for it? Professor. Filmaster? Filmaster. (laughs) (laughs) She gave a face, and that's what you get. (laughs) 
Death has always been a sacred concept among people. This is evidenced by the extravagant ceremonies centered around the passing of a fellow human, storing ugh, stories and tales of spirits and ghosts. So, pe people make a big deal out of people dying, for good reason, because it's an entire human being, and then suddenly they stop existing, and everyone wants to be remembered, and everyone wants to remember their loved ones. So, perhaps in a way that innate feeling, that compulsion to remember and be remembered, ties in to why we're we've got like kind of an obsession with bringing people back to life whether or not it be with their full consciousness or maybe that ties into why it's scary to think of a loved one returning back to life after having dying having died but not being themselves again i think that that's super spooky that might be where that comes from Anyway, the the first the first critter referring to the concept of reanimation that I would like to talk about is the zombies. The most widely recognized concept of zombies historically are those described in the belief system of voodoo, which evolved as a religion in Haiti as a combination of Roman Catholicism and African spiritual beliefs. The Europeans who colonized Haiti had originally taken indigenous people of the area, the Taino, as slaves, but with increasing demand for people to work the land, they began to import people from Africa to do all the, all the field work. And while these people were generally not permitted to openly discuss or practice their religion or spiritual beliefs, and were instead pushed into Catholicism by the Europeans, bits and pieces of their belief system did survive. While they were from many different areas of Africa and no one group held the same exact beliefs, they managed to piece what they could remember from their own spiritualities together to form a new sort of religion that was tied in with the Catholic beliefs that they had been mostly converted to. The result of this religious patchwork was voodoo. Within the voodoo religion are people who practice a form of uh, quote-unquote black magic, who are referred to as bokor, or bokor, I don't know how to pronounce it, um, I ha have, I've never had a need to pronounce this word properly, uh, let me know if I pronounce it wrong, uh, bokor, I think, uh, Within the array of practices and rites performed by the Bokor is a ceremony that is said to reanimate the body of a recently deceased individual. According to Gino del Guercio, Guercio, I think, writing for Harvard Magazine in 1962, a man named Clervius Narcisse was admitted to the hospital in Haiti while suffering from an unknown illness. He was pronounced dead a few days later, which is why it was extremely confusing when 18 years later, this very same man walked up and provided proof to his sister that he was still alive. His sister had been witness to his funeral and watched as he was lowered into the ground, so she didn't believe him until he had given her information that only he could know. This is the most thoroughly documented case of a zombie in real life or someone known to be deceased, rising from their grave, and continuing to walk the earth. Okay. Well, I have questions about this. So if she saw her brother being lowered into the casket or into the ground, they buried him, she was sure he was in there. How did he, how did he end up not being there later? That's like the he, Like thing. he goes to the, where does he go? To the plantation? Yeah. So were they just coming in like grave robbing or like how did he get from point A to point B snug as a bug in a box to twirling away on a plantation and then coming back like where's just a little just a little curious as to what's going on there. The whole idea the theory presented about that whole thing was that 
Someone came and dug his body up out of his grave, resuscitated him, and then put him on the plantation to do slave labor. Okay, that makes sense. There could have just been a giant ring, you know, people involved in that. Um, I'm fairly certain that's what they depicted in Wes Craven's The Serpent and the Rainbow, which is actually based on this story, is a doctor goes to um, to the plantation, but their search is for a more powerful anesthetic drug for medical purposes, discover essentially a voodoo zombie ring going on. And it does take more than one person to form a ring, so I guess you've got henchmen going out there, drugging people with zombie juice and then digging up their bodies later. It makes um, sense. When I first read the story, uh, my thoughts went to human trafficking. It was like, they fucking make people, like drug people, make them seem like they're dead till they get buried, dig them up, revive them, and then human trafficking ring. And there's no fucking paperwork or anything like that. You don't have to worry about missing persons cases because they're dead. That's true. And everyone That's knows true. that they're dead. Their sisters watched them get buried. Well, then you can start your, your side business creating fake identities for people because you have access to a list of dead people and possibly their records. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's too much. Maybe that's too much of a tall order, but you know, more just, modernly, yeah, just it's an brilliant. Idea. Just like, throwing it out there. Like if that happened now, that would be perfect. It'd be like two businesses in one. At the time, I don't think they were worried about it. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. So back to the story, uh, Narcisse. Narcisse. Upon his magical return to his sister, claimed that he recalled very clearly the night of his burial, and that he was conscious throughout, but unable to move or speak. He claimed that a voodoo priest had raised him from his grave that night and taken him away to a sugar plantation where he was forced to work the fields in the company of many other zombies. This claim was emboldened when other individuals returned to their hometowns around the same time, giving the very same story about their death and long absence, long, long absence following their burial. Speaking with Narcisse has led medical experts to develop a theory that there is some form of plant-based chemical cocktail that has been given to people in order to simulate death temporarily. In essence, some form of zombie potion that puts people into a coma so they can later be exhumed and resuscitated. Sh shut up. Which brings me to the science. Uh, tetrodotoxin is a neurotoxin, and it comes from pufferfish. In July of 2007, an article was released in the Skeptical Inquirer, which alleged that Haitian voodoo practitioners were using a concoction of TTX tetrodotoxin, to intentionally create zombies. This argument was first put forth in 1983 by an ethnobotanist named Wade Davis, who earned his PhD from Harvard University. Unfortunately, the claims presented by Davis and his co-author, Gandhi, uh, I <laughs> not Gandhi, not Mahatma, not, not the Gandhi you're thinking of, okay? Uh, different Gandhi have been disproven. Uh, Terence Hines wrote a paper addressing these claims and very effectively diffuses this idea. According to Hines, the amount of tetrodotoxin that would be required to safely and surely have the desired effect on a randomly chosen human body could not be calculated in haste or on the spot by anyone like a witch doctor, you know? especially because tetrodotoxin poisoning is often fatal, even in small doses. Davis also claims that tetrodotoxin, tetrodotoxin <laughs> causes a body to seem, by all means, dead, which isn't the case. It has a nerve-deafening effect, which would cause the body to go limp and floppy, which is in direct contrast with the assertion Davis makes that it causes the body to appear to be in a state of rigor. Stiffness would be caused by an excess of nerve impulses rather than a lack of them, like tetrodotoxin causes. 
Davis also claims that TTX poisoning makes a body smell like it's decaying. And our homie Terrence over here works with dead bodies enough to say for certain that that simply is not the case. So it's unfortunate that that has been disproven because I really liked that idea that seemed fun to me. Therefore, however, it can be concluded to my great dismay that the idea of a zombie potion or a zombie powder produced by Haitian wizards is completely unfounded scientifically. A major point presented by Terence in this short paper is that Narcissi's claim of being kept as a zomb in a zombified state to work the plantation for several years cannot be explained by tetrodotoxin. The effects simply don't last that long, and it just isn't possible. So, I mean, it could be possible that the effects lasted long enough to get him there, and then they, like, well, it drugged him in other ways. It wouldn't even have to last for him to get there. It would just have to last long enough for him to be declared dead and pass through the burial and the funeral. Because once once you're in the box and you're you're in the ground, it can wear off there. It's true. So and you, then, need, you need what? Maybe maybe a couple of hours? Yeah. Depending yeah. on how efficiently people are trying to, you know, get rid of your body, because if you're one of them one of them people that, you know, has it hanging out for a while, like that's probably not gonna work work very well. But like if you're shoved into a drawer for three days. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, or the folks that like display the bodies for a couple days so friends and family can come and say their goodbyes to you. Like that's that's not gonna be ideal. But you know, maybe given the hotter temperatures, you can't really be having a body hanging out there. It just kind of gets mushy. So you're like, all right, just move this, move this on along here. It could work for that. Put it where it needs to go as fast as we possibly can because it will get wormy. Yeah, I'm just saying, I feel like there's slim scenarios where this is probable. It's Plausible. true. Plausible. Yes. All the important piece. Do doable. Doable. And uh, my first thought here was that if people could be tricked into thinking that people are dead, but they're instead in a comatose state, then they could be a victim of human trafficking, like I said earlier, I guess. Like, like they could be exhumed and brought and kept as slaves to do labor while the world considers them dead. And it's a brilliant and evil business plan. Fortunately, no evidence really suggests that that actually ever happened. So, I'm wrong. I'm brilliant, but I'm wrong. However, this idea has led to a lot of meaningful scientific research that has proven helpful in medical science. It is used in analgesics and in pain reducers for cancer patients. And better than even that, it has proven fundamental in the imagination of horror fiction writers. There are um, a handful of my favorite movies that are based around both voodoo and voodoo medicine. Um, you already were talking about white zombies, so we'll go ahead and skip over that. I feel like everybody probably knows that one. There are a couple lesser films that come shortly after that that I'm not sure if many people are aware of but they're wonderful you should see them one of my personal favorites is I walked with a zombie and that is a nice little gem from uh, the early 40s I think it's 1943 anywho um, but none of them are actually set in Haiti which I always find kind of odd they're all set in the Caribbean and given that this is, you know, anywhere between the 40s and mid-70s that these films are being made, maybe they didn't have anywhere that looked like Haiti, or maybe they just were under the impression that every single thing ever happens in the Caribbean. Maybe. Voodoo, shark attacks, anything bad happening, it's the Caribbean. It's an island. So, um, with I Walked With a Zombie, it's ta it takes place on um, a Caribbean sugar plantation, and... This nurse gets hired to go there and care for this man's wife who is suffering from some strange condition. No one has any idea what's wrong with her, but she's acting strangely. And it turns out that she, for some unknown reason, I'm not 
I don't recall that the film ever tells you why, she's actually suffering from voodoo magic. And um, the nurse makes it her goal to save the woman because she falls in love with her husband, which is odd to me because why not just leave her as just a zombie her but like whatever let her die and hop on whatever so you know it's it's just a just a charming film of trying to unravel weird voodoo plots and magic and after that we have another gem from the 70s this time and if you want to see a just gem of a playboy from the 70s i do not know the name of this actor but his hair Never, never unkempt. He obviously keeps a comb on that. He has a wrangler for his hair. He, uh, it was quite the, the ladies man is what we got from the film. But, uh, once again, set in the Caribbean, um, but this time around, they weren't using voodoo potions. They were turning people into zombies using different scientific methods and medicinal experiments because they were trying to find a drug for cancer. They were doing cancer research, or at least that's what the doctor thought. Yeah, I remember. Um, and our playboy, I kind of glossed over him, our playboy with the, the hair that just never goes anywhere, he is the one who discovers all of this because he is a romance writer, so that makes him qualified to go and unravel these mysteries of the cancer research that turned out to be someone actually funding world domination by turning everyone into zombies, and plans are foiled. He gets the girl, they fly away on an airplane, it's a whole thing. It's a whole, whole big sandy thing loved that yeah. yeah that's what we got for that often more modern zombies like uh, late 90s early 2000s becoming a part of modern culture zombies of this sort are depicted in a few different ways they fall into several different categories, actually. According to the most renowned of sources, Zombiepedia, <laughs> zombies can be either a generic zombie, which is created when a person dies and is reanimated due to infection with some sort of pathogen or virus. Uh, I think examples of that would be something like 28 days later? No, because... Well, maybe, but they don't just die. 28 days later is another research facility. They're experimenting on animals. Animal activists go in, try to release a chimpanzee, I think it is, that is infected with a virus, and none of these people actually die and come back to life. They get the virus transmitted to them through a bite or blood contact, and then within seconds or maybe up to a minute, they transform into into this rage-filled monster. So there's no actual like dying going on. Okay. They're just infected. Okay, so so they don't die and turn in. They just like they just turn. Yeah. Um, whereas Resident Evil zombies, there you do have to die. Like, um, in the, the first film that they made, the main character, the, the chick. The hot lady in the pleather? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the, the hot lady in the pleather, she gets bit and they drag her throughout like the whole movie of trying to find the cure on the train at the end. And it's not until the end when she actually dies does she come back as a zombie. Okay. And oh, like, uh, I think Walking Dead. I think in Walking Dead you have to, you die because of the bite and then you come back as a zombie. You, the bite can lead to death due to infection because it's just disgusting, dirty, I remember mouth. there was one guy they like cut his leg off to like prevent the infection from spreading. And it spreading. worked. Yeah. And it worked for him. And there were other folks later on in the seasons who died of different causes like being murdered or catching a fever and they would die and their corpse would be reanimated because the virus was already 
you know in them but they needed to cross over essentially before it could be activated that's so weird it's kind of cool that anyone ever even thought of that uh but yes there's that kind of zombie and uh there are what are referred to as runners uh so i've always called those the fast zombies the ones that just like keep going and running around and ripping people's heads off for long periods of time without any apparent or quick decomposition. I feel like those are usually represented in media when there's a virus going around that takes people over but doesn't necessarily kill or destroy the body beforehand. Do you, do you know what I'm referring to? I think you're still referring to more of the 28 Days Later zombies, but they do still have those types of zombies in some other movies like Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, The Resident Evils. It's newly infected. They, their body isn't deteriorating yet, so they still have the full range of motions until their body starts to break down, and then as they break down, they become slower. Okay, so like... There's just a regular influx of freshly, freshly um, zombified or whatever people, and then after like a few weeks, as their body breaks down, there's just like still new ones getting infected. Pretty much, okay. it just kind of all depends on everyone's own rate of decomposition and what's going on. And I feel like the muscles that you already have, like if you've got someone who is very athletic. They catch the virus they turn zombie they're probably gonna last a little bit longer there's a there's a lot more going on there you know it's true and then uh there's um the parasite the uh ophiocordyceps that's a fungus that infects insects mostly ants uh, in particular and it tricks the little bugger into eating its spores then it spreads through the body and it takes over the brain. Then the insect loses all of its self-control and whatnot, and it is entirely under the control of the fungus, which eventually bursts its sexual organs out of the bug's danged head. It's freaky. That's what the fast, not-rotting zo- zombies remind me of. It's a um, dickhead. It's a dickhead. <laughs> Literally a dickhead. Oh my god. <laughs> If, it, if it's <laughs> it's um it's sexual organs are technically spores and they do burst out of the ant's head therefore indeed like literally a dickhead <laughs> but that's a type of zombie too the parasitic kind but i think that that happens more in real life unfortunately than it does in movies i think that there's a lot of potential there for media well, it's not, they're not in horror movies, is why they're in sci-fi movies. Ah! Yeah, which, um, two separate categories that do just hold hands occasionally in the most endearing way ever, because a lot of times there's a lot of blood and gore involved because you have to murder the vessel to murder the spore person. That's true. You know, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. They have made multiple remakes of that since it was ever made. I think that one's from... I think the first one was made in the 50s. I'm fairly certain they made another in the 70s. And I feel like there might be a third remake of it. And if not, there are other movies that have stolen ideas from it. Which are just fantastic. And like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you've got... got seed pods some sort of pods coming down from the sky and you know people are sucking them up and they are just taking over people's bodies and trying to take over the world that way and granted they still have some of the characteristics of the individual who they have taken over you know for their host but not enough similarities that it doesn't rouse suspicion of the remaining real humans in the town they they know what's up that kind of reminds me of um what is it world's end it's like a british comedy with with that one guy from fucking 
Shaun of the Dead. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought that was a movie about drinking. Weren't they just trying to go from <laughs> pub to pub to pub? On that was like his New plan, Year's but they were, the, his hometown was invaded by aliens who was taking over the bodies and personalities of the people. Yeah. And uh, they ended up... They started calling them... Not robots. They decided to not call them robots. Because they were like robots and they had blue blood and you could rip their heads off and they're like, oh god, they're everywhere. So it just depends on how how the takeover is happening. For it to be in that category, it's going to have to be a parasite actually coming into contact and burrowing within the person. Like in another one of my 90s favorites, The Faculty, starring Hollywood heartthrob Josh Hartnett, we've got little parasitic sluggy type creatures that go into people's ears, take them over. The, the body ends up carrying on some of the characteristics, but still you see something's a little fishy and they're obviously being controlled by something else. Is the zombieism or classified as something else? Not entirely sure, but it's a parasite. It's taken over your body and you are no longer you, so could be. It's, it's some kind of reanimation, I'm sure. I don't know what else it would be called because it's like the body that you lived in, that you were you in, and it's no longer you living in the body, but the body's still doing body stuff. I'm gonna pause. Our, our big dumb baby dogs were doing big dumb baby dog stuff. Noisy, noisy dog stuff. They're, they're scratching at the door not making us very good at speaking or thinking but we have returned and we were talking about different types of zombies I eh? uh, there are also after these ones unless you have enough okay after these types there are also the ones that call straight out of their graves in various states of decay and I can't find any definite explanation for these ones, but it seems like originally they came about the same way as ghouls and strigoi in like old folklore. Ghouls are cool as hell, by the way. And uh, luckily I plan to spend more time talking about them as well. Probably the next segment of this series will be ghouls or vampires. Which, I mean, vampire, Strigoi, or originally vampire, no, never mind, I'll tell you later. Spells, or witchcraft, tends to summon the dead back up from their graves. A curse on an individual that forces them to rise up so that they never get to truly rest is a thing, and that tends to lead to zombies. Um, even the biblical story of the apocalypse is sort of an example of that, which I believe is called universal resurrection. In the New Testament, there's a passage that says something to the effect of who will rise, all the dead will rise, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, I'm no follower of Christian mythology, but that sounds like zombies to me. But the scholar in me insists that it could be an issue of interpretation, and it could be used, they could be using the word rise to refer to ascension to heaven. And I much prefer the idea of zombies. Dirty, wormy zombies. Do you, do you have any good examples of the, that kind of zombie? Well, we've got some. We have our classic Night of the Living Dead zombies, which are the creepy crawly, we just crawl out of our graves and attack you, and they don't really go into why. It just happens, and it's more of a story of survival. So those ones are, are always good, and you can find those ones just really willy-nilly. Pick up a zombie movie anywhere that has zombie in the title or living dead and you're going to come across no explanation really as to why but here they are here's my tale of survival as far as the resurrections go 
I believe that's called Necromancy. Yes. And they do have a whole book for it called the Necronomicon. So we do have a lot of examples in movies of folks using, using some sort of book of the dead to rise out of the grave. We've got movies like The Mummy, not necessarily zombies, because mummies and zombies are, I would say, probably more like cousins. Yeah. I love mummies, though. So we've we've got mummies, um, and then we've also got our classics in the Evil Dead series or any of those genres where you're opening a book, you're reading some passages, and then you're summoning something. Um, sometimes it's the undead, sometimes it's a spirit that will then kill a host and take over its body. So... Well, even Hocus Pocus... Yeah, we, we see it in Hocus Pocus as well. <laughs> yeah. They they also have their own form of the Necronomicon or their Book of the Dead. You, and their own little zombie comes out and helps them that's beat right. the witches. You, you can find them them everywhere. Billy, I think. Is his name Billy? I think so. That I was her it's... dead ex-boyfriend? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. I loved him. <laughs> okay, so sometimes someone will cast some sort of spell or a curse and then that will cause the dead to rise from their graves but there is also such thing as um like a long time curse like cursed ground for example something terrible occurs in a location and forever that ground is like desecrated and terrible things will happen on that ground and so if anyone is buried per se, on desecrated ground, weird shit happens. Most of the time, the idea in stories and uh, like folklore is that if that happens, that soul is cursed. And so either that soul is trapped in a sort of purgatory, unable to ascend to heaven or reincarnate or whatever, or sometimes it's in a, in a hellish, uh, tormented existence. But that also uh, kind of ties into the concept of Native American burial grounds and the idea that uh, those are cursed in some way. Like Pet Cemetery. Ooh, that one is always fun. Not only does it affect humans, it is one of our cases of cross-species contamination because anything you bury there, like pets will come back as zombies it's very exciting which is extra terrifying to me because like in the movie there's like the pet cemetery you know and there's a bunch of little gravestones and everyone puts their cats there and whatever and then suddenly the kid the kid happens i don't know if i'm remembering the remake or the original? Both. It's the cat that happens first, though. What happens is the family moves. They live next to a busy road. The cat ends up getting run over by a truck or a car, and they bury the family cat up there. And then, a few days later, the cat returns. It is still all beat up. It still has all of its death wounds, but the cat has come back. Now, seeing as it is a cat and not a person, you can't really tell that it's missing personality traits, or at least this guy couldn't. So when the same fate inevitably befalls their only child, who is at, you know, two or three years old, in his mind, the cat came back, the cat seemed fine, he buries the kid up there, kid comes back a few days later, everything seems fine and dandy until it's really apparent that he is a zombie. Although he's not on a quest for flesh, he's more on a quest for souls, I think. Oh, that's interesting too. That's a whole concept. Um, because I think the idea about zombies or whatever is that they require human life force. And that can be interpreted as in eating the human brain. Because that's the human consciousness. That's where the, the human is. The human of a human body. And so that's why zombies would eat brains. Because it's the life force. And there's also the concept of eating the heart, 
which is more common with stories about werewolves and stuff, but that's still the human life force. Drinking the blood. Vampires. Human life force. It's the blood. We have just glossed over an entire genre here. iZombie. They have to eat human brains to sustain themselves so that they can keep their cameo of pretending that they're humans. They need the life force to continue to model it. If they go too long without having it, they don't have the ability to replicate and model that behavior any longer. They go back to bloodthirsty zombies. I cannot believe that we didn't think about this earlier. I can't believe that either. We're I just fans. I just got super nerdy about iZombie like a few weeks ago. I don't I don't know why I didn't think of this. Oh my god. <laughs> Maybe we should talk about that too, but I guess that's basically all there is. I think iZombie is the only zombie fiction that I know of that really goes into that. They're the only ones that go into being able to masquerade around as not the undead. Every other zombie TV show that I'm aware of, like the undead or the undead, there's no mask in it. It's, oh, and you run away. It focuses on the survivors, whereas this one focuses on the life of the zombies. Yeah, I, I, I would be interested to know if there's any other, anything at all that actually like goes from the perspective of the zombie instead of people who are trying to defend themselves from the zombies. Because I think that iZombie is the only one I know of. It's the only one it's I'm aware cool. of. If you guys are aware of any more, like... Like, let us let us know. I want, uh, we I want, want to watch them. We'll, we'll watch them. I'll watch them. Alright. Alright. Took a brief break. I'm a little bit confused. Um, we were talking about Pet Cemetery. Um, there. The whole point is that there are fuck tons of different types of zombies who exist for a fuck ton of different reasons and exist in a fuck ton of different ways. And I find that in itself fascinating. And the idea of zombies strikes me as an imaginative manifestation of the human fear of corpses. Historically, people have feared that dead bodies were capable of spreading illness and pathogens. The theory is called miasma theory, and was originally popularized by Hippocrates in the 14th century BC. This idea suggested that sickness presented in a dead person could waft through the air and, inf- and infect those exposed to that air. This was entirely disproven in 1880 when germ theory was introduced by more informed scholars of medicine. However, this fear that corpses can make people sick seems to have stuck with us. I find it's impossible that this fear existed even before the, uh, the I find it's possible that this fear existed even before the miasma theory. Possibly because of the stench that comes from biological decay. Like, How can you smell a dead body? That may strike... What am I talking about? Jesus Christ. How can you smell a dead body? I mean, you just take a whiff. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. How you can smell a dead body. And like, it's gross. So you smell a dead body, and it stinks, and you can smell the stench of decay and death. And it may strike people in a psychological way that makes them think, Oh god, oh fuck, I'm literally inhaling death. Which, I dare say, seems fair. However, according to all current scientific information, this isn't possible. And the WHO website confirms that most pathogens don't survive in a dead body for long at all. Most require the body to be functioning in order to survive and procreate. So no, you generally won't get sick from messing about with the corpse of someone who died of an illness. What if you lick it? 
because I feel like if a dead body gets into your water source and then you drink that, like you're gonna get pretty sick. The problem with that is the bacteria that is involved in the decay of the body. Ah. Uh, so you're ingesting, like, Jardia, uh, which will fuck you up if you drink untreated water from, like, a river or something. Because if there's something dead upriver and it's decaying, the bacteria that is eating that dead body is going to be pushed down the river and you're going to drink it and it's going to give you jardia. See, I feel like right there, that's a solid example of why people have a fear of corpses. I don't want a corpse hanging around. That's fair. That's mixing fair. in with my water. Don't put it in the river. Where else am I supposed to hide the bodies? <laughs> you dig a hole. Old. We've talked about this. <laughs> okay, well, you know what? Some people back then didn't have themselves any shovels, so maybe it was either, either <laughs> easier just to drop them in a river. Just saying, contaminated water seems like a pretty solid reason why you would not want a corpse around. That's fair, but that's how you get cabin fever. Yeah. Cabin fever 2 is one of my favorite movies in the world just because it's so fucking ridiculous and terrible. Yeah, don't they lock that girl in the shed and then set her on fire? I think so. And I know they have like, some guy screams about his dick. I don't know. Cabin fever is amazing. It's, it's so bad. Got a lot going on I there. Did, I did this again. I, I let the phone close itself. Okay, there we go. Oh no. Anyway, uh, this whole string of consciousness leads me to speculate that the fear of a virus passed on through dead people, like generic zombies, stems from that subconscious fear of, like, dead bodies and death in the first place. This type of zombie craves the delicious, juicy meal of human flesh, which to me hits on a similar concept that may have led to the story of the Wendigo, Oh my god, it's always the Wendigo. Yeah, I was literally just thinking that same thing. It's... Okay, earlier today, for me, it was the Wendigo. Unexpectedly. I had just had this conversation with someone a couple of days ago about how you never expect the Wendigo. And then I went to a movie with him, and we didn't know what the movie was about, and the movie was about a fucking Wendigo. You don't expect- I didn't- I didn't remember that I mentioned the Wendigo in the script for this, and it's the Wendigo again! Again! When do we go again? When- When do we when go? Do we go? <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Anyway, um, among Native American peoples, the Wendigo story is a little bit similar to this, and the fear of human corpses and getting something from death from them. Uh, the consumption of human flesh, specifically in the case of Wendigos, much like what zombies do, eating human flesh, uh, eating one's homies, if you will, uh, is one of the gnarliest taboos in almost every culture around the world. The image of a human or human-like thing eating another human strikes a sort of primordial fear in people. I mean, for good reason, I feel like that's pretty terrifying. If I if I walked up on a motherfucker eating another motherfucker, I would poop my pants. Well, didn't you, don't you remember all those cases that were on the news like 10, 12 something years ago about the people smoking bath salts is what they were saying? Yeah. And then eating those people and they were like, is this the new zombie drug? People are getting high and... Like the one, the one guy ate that other guy's face, yes. and then the other guy, like I, I do not remember this being a direct quote from the news or any media outlet. It was word of mouth, but somebody said that a different case, the guy got stabbed or stabbed himself and like threw his intestines at like a police officer or something. And I feel like that one's probably far fetched. I don't know. My brother-in-law's dad pulled true. his guts out in a grocery store. Okay. Was he high on bath salts, though? No, nah, he's All just right. a weird boy. Weird that's boy. Kind of, that one's kind of unre <laughs> unrelated, then. People do weird stuff, though. I was <laughs> like, just saying. 
but I remember the bath salts thing and I was like a little bit excited because like you said it was like 10 years ago so yeah. I was younger and I was like oh I'm ready for an apocalypse yeah, I'm zomb- ready let's, let's get the swords coming. especially when that dude ate that dude's face and I was like it's there it is there it is it was in Florida I think yeah which is of course where it yeah. would start always everything always starts on the east coast that's why you want to live over here right. farther away get more time to prepare oh do you know about crocodile it's a form it's an opiate o- opiate um, drug that is intravenously ingested and it became very popular in Russia also about 10 years ago did it also make people have zombie like tendencies where they were eating people's faces off they got super weird but the main thing was that it made their flesh rot oh okay. so they'd inject it and then they'd get like their flesh would fall off of their arm. So we've got one. So they look like zombies. We've got one that is turning people into the habits of zombies because they're eating other people, and one that is making you rot like a zombie. Okay, two yeah. different, two different sides of that coin. So if you wanted to be a zombie, you you would smoke bath salts and inject crocodile, okay. and then you would rot and also eat people, and it's like, it's easy to do, if you want to do that. Like, I mean, I'm not the, gonna do it, but like, it's do, available. Yeah. It's available if you ever want. We have want. the technology. <laughs> so, not not to get Darwinian here, uh, but it makes sense on an evolutionary level to be afraid of a human or a human-like thing eating another human. Humans have never been particularly good at existing alone and have always needed a group or a tribe in order to flourish on this hellish planet. Therefore, acting in a way that actively harms others of the community or decreases the numbers of the community has likely been the biggest no-no in the world since the origin of our species. Um, pun. Considering Darwinian (laughs) origin of species. I'm real funny. Okay, uh, seeing someone act in a way that completely disregards evolutionary, evolutionarily accepted standards is kind of fucking terrifying, right? Just stick to the norms. Don't eat other people's faces. We don't want mad cow disease, all right? <laughs> that's for the bovines. Oh, that's a... Oh, what's the specific name of that bacteria or whatever that grows if you eat someone's brain? I know that it's because of human DNA. Humans cannot consume human DNA without something weird going on, but it's very, very specifically the human brain. Hmm. It starts with a C, I think. I have no idea. Either way, it gives you the jitters and you'll end up like that dude in that movie I seen. Happy birthday! 